Welcome to the Food and Faith Podcast, conversations from the soil and around the table with your co-hosts, Anna Wolfenden, Derek Weston, and Sam Chandler. Food and Faith podcast listeners. Um, We have a special episode today. We are recording on Thursday, November 5th uh, of of, of 2020. Um, Recording in the midst of apocalypse. And and as of right now, the election has not been called. Um, We are waiting on a couple of states to, to count, to learn how to count or to figure out counting. Um, But we wanted to um, just talk a little bit about about the election and sort of about the season. And we have invited a friend of ours, uh, Jason Chestnut, to join us. Um, Reverend Jason Chestnut is ordained in the ELCA, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. He's a freelance filmmaker and itinerant pastor digital preacher working on the edges of institutional Christianity. His films are committed to a new kind of storytelling and his work extends into movements for justice and liberation. He's a native of Texas. He graduated from Texas Lutheran University and Lutheran School of Theology at Chicago. He lives as close as possible to mountains and in an alternate universe, he would be a wildlife photographer. I did not know that about you, Jason. (laughs) I didn't know that either. I'm learning and new things. Which wait, which part? The whole thing? Or? No, no, just just the wildlife photographer part. Yeah, I would love that. I love it. So, um, besides being a, a good friend of ours, um, Jason is also working on a project that we have teased uh, a couple of times on uh, on this podcast, and so uh, we're going to talk with him about that as well. Before we before we get started talking about anything, Jason, we want to learn a little bit about you. So we ask all of our guests, uh, "What is your geography? What are the what are the places, uh, either where you're currently living or the places that have shaped you, the culture that has shaped you, the things that have made you who you are?" So what is your what is your geography, Jason Chestnut? That's a great question. Thank you. Normally, it's like, "Where are you from?" and I'm like. Uh. I don't know. (laughs) Um, Well, I live in the Pacific Northwest now and um, just getting into the the West Coast vibes, but I'm kind of a West Coast person. Um, I think I've probably been shaped mostly by by growing up in Texas. Um, And I think I just, I don't know. I, I think when you grow up in Texas, um, you have a very specific view of the United States. Um, and it's hard to get out of that. It's hard to get out of that mindset. I mean, everything's different in Texas. So I think that kind of still colors my, um, my geography. Uh, I moved around a lot growing up. And so I kind of have a wanderlust and yeah, I wasn't expecting this kind of question, Derek, and it's great. Because we did a bad job of prepping you, and that's all. <laughs> and because you obviously haven't listened to our podcast enough, because <laughs> we ask every single guest this question. Man. So can I, can I follow up and, 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 and do a kind of sloppy segue here? Um, how, how is that 
uh, that very Texas view of the United States, how is that reflected in the political landscape that you see right now? Like, how are, how are you seeing that reflected in, in the election and what's happening in our country at this moment? Yeah, I mean, I think when you live in a place like Texas, you're very aware of the fact that this country is extremely conservative. I can, I can spend some time on Twitter and convince myself that I live in a very progressive country, but I don't, we don't. Mm. Um, my dad's called a couple of times. I haven't answered because, ugh, I mean, what? I don't, I don't really want to, but I don't, I don't, that uh, my, my, my father probably voted for, for the current president. And I don't want to hear why, um, it's kind of, I, 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 I'm actually pretty good at, um, if we were all on a, if the four of us were part of, a, you know, the, the political landscape and we were gonna do a role play and let's say Derek was gonna play um, a progressive, I could play, I could play a conservative very easily because I grew up with it. Mm -hmm. And so I think the more I think about it, the more I see what's happening now and this sort of um, people coming with, uh, they, on my timeline, on my Twitter timeline and, and in my friend circles, this, this sense of like, how, how could so many people vote for Trump given everything that we've seen? And um, I think, and shout out to, to any listeners who live in Texas still. Um, uh, Texas is, and we see it right now, it was almost gray for a while, right? Um, some of the, some of our um, media outlets really wanted to make Texas purple or pink or whatever other color that's not red. And, um, you know, it's like when I was watching Beto O'Rourke and and uh, Ted Cruz and, you know, Beto was ahead for a while, but then what you have in Texas is just county after county that's like not 60% or 70% conservative, but like 95%. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's just a sobering uh, kind of thing, but also not surprising. Um, I think Texas is more indicative of the country than we'd like to think mm -hmm. so in, in some ways it's like yeah it stayed it stayed gray for a while it stayed uh it, it wasn't called for a while it wasn't like mississippi or utah but eventually and i'm trying to keep all my hope alive y'all but basically i just i watched the votes for a while on election eve and I knew that it would turn red because it's Texas and Texas, Texas will just break your heart. Mm. I love that state and it will break your heart, which is how I feel about the country right now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, which part of Texas are you from? Like there are, there are very divergent parts of the parts of the state. So which part and what is there? Um, well, no, that's a good question. I mean, again, I, um, I went to school or uh, college at Texas Lutheran and sort of spent my time in the San Antonio, Austin area, which is definitely blue, uh, Travis County, 
Um, but I spent a lot of time up in the panhandle too. And if you, if you look at that little square box part of Texas, um, it's redder than the Red Sea. Uh, the Red Sea isn't very red, Jason. It's redder than the Red Sea in the Exodus stories when they, you know, pour <laughs> it's very red. It's dripping red. Um, I have not been there, but I've been to Oklahoma, which uh, yeah, Oklahoma is a great point because sometimes people think they're the same, like state-wise. And it's like Oklahoma is just rural Texas with like an Oklahoma city in there, but Texas itself, Houston, Dallas, El Paso. If you looked at the state right now, you'll see a lot of blue counties that just stretch along the Rio Grande. Um, and so there are, a, there are a shit ton of progressives in Texas. Um, and it's also just a huge state, right? So mm -hmm. there's also just a lot of red in there too. <laughs> I'm really stuck with just words of that, you know, Texas breaks your heart and the country's your heart. And I, I guess I'm just curious about that question because I'm, I'm feeling it too. And just to dig in a bit more farther, like what, what parts of your heart or what, what is breaking your heart? Um, well, I mean, I, I think part of it is that why I would say that I haven't left this country and, and, and let me say I have the privilege um, and uh, a lot of that from my white skin and from my U.S. passport that I could probably leave if I wanted to. I don't, I don't know if Canada's taking us anymore. I've heard Justin Trudeau really wanted like a lot of us there right now. Um, reconsider that prime minister. Our, <laughs> our, our country is suffering. But I think um, I was confirmed as a Lutheran in college in Texas. Uh, there, the only reason I'm part of the church probably and doing what I'm doing is because of experiences I've had in Texas, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, back to Derek's original sussing out the question, what's my geography? I mean, Texas has shaped me mm -hmm. for better or for worse. And so I think it breaks my heart because um, Texas just has a lot of it's, it's, it's just, it's, it's a, it's a big part of my story. And so I think, um, and it's not like other states. If we, 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 unfortunately right now we have to talk a lot about states, um, given the way that our election goes in the electoral college, the very dated 18th century electoral college. Um, but Texas isn't like other red states. And I think the reason it breaks my heart is because Beto had a chance to be mm. a senator from there, right? Mm -hmm. It wasn't like, it wasn't like uh, Tommy Tuberville taking over in Alabama that we had a blue senator from Alabama for like two years. It wasn't something like that. Texas, Texas can go blue. And it's the only state because it was a, because it was a, a republic before it became a state like California. It's got this thing in its constitution that says it could break into five states if it wanted to. If you if you listen to revisionist history with Malcolm Gladwell, he goes down that path um, just to imagine it. And if there were if Texas were five states, which means it would have ten senators, 
it's very likely that six or seven, maybe eight of them would be, would be progressive, right? Mm -hmm. So if you separate it out that way, it's like, if you, if you split Texas into five states, which would be according to its population. Right. So every time I see those images of the entire United States with all this red, I'm like, yes, yes, but, but like people vote, not counties. Yeah. So a red county that has 500 people and a red county that has 500,000, that's different. Yeah. There are very few red counties that have 500,000 people, by the way, because Republicans know that the more people vote, the less chance they have of winning. And they've said this. So anyways, that's why it breaks my heart, I guess. I'll go back to that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? I hear it. I mean, Texas is how I learned to be progressive, right? I mean, mm. Texas was my, was my political awakening um and so yeah there was there's a um <clears throat> to your point about people voting uh not land there's a, a infographic i've seen on facebook uh just this morning um showing the kind of red blue state uh thing and then kind of like adjusting it toward to population where you yeah. see these like really dark blue centers and these kind of red specks throughout and then just kind of empty, empty land. Right. Um, my, my kind of response to that was like, and also if land did vote, it would probably vote blue. Mm. <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> right. Like if, yeah. yes, Preach. like what is the interest of the land? Probably, you know, it cares about, you know, climate justice and probably oh. cares about like indigenous rights and it probably cares about like not being polluted and you know yeah. probably cares about not yeah. having like industrial farming that destroys it yeah yeah probably probably yeah. hi that's that's a good idea how about we have the land vote I'm, I'm for it. I'm for it. I think the land would make better decisions than a lot of us do. This feels really fraught. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a hurricane, so that's a that's a vote. <laughs> Forest fires. There's well, a vote. It, but it and and this makes for really bad podcasting. Maybe we can find it and throw it up on on our Twitter account. But have you all seen the thread that happened where it was? It was tracking this this blue this blue streak that goes through the south, and how that tracks perfectly with the geology um, of that area. It's late Cretaceous geology, and what it's saying is that that up to a like, and I'm not a geologist, so to explain this is difficult. But that in eras past, that was where the sea ended, which is where um, which is where a lot of, a lot of biological material was dropped off, which means that soil is super rich. Mm. All right, and but because it's in the south, that also is where um, it was most heavily farmed, and, and and enslaved people were most fully brought into that area to farm it. And so it's this fascinating connection because I think sometimes we do this. We're like land is one thing, people are another thing. Mm. But the idea is actually land continues to shape our policy. It continues to shape our politics. It shapes us all the way back to like the freaking Cretaceous era. Like it's not just like what the hurricane is doing it is our the way that we are as humans is rooted in our geology it's literally in the rocks 
and the and because all of human life has to come up out of the land, which is which is our biblical text. That's where it comes from. Um, and so, like I said, it's it's really bad. It's really bad podcasting, and it's a little bit of pontificating. I don't know if we can. I, reflect I, on I this. thought that was a great but, point. Like that was, but, that was awesome. All right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> who, who, it, well, pot, pontificating on a, a, we're supposed to talk. Talk not sermonize. You can you can catch my sermons elsewhere. But I mean, but it's it's that it's that very like like so seeing this this political you know this this sort of political block emerge literally from the very rocks and from our own history reminds us um, and 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 brings to like and I think that's what we're all struggling with is like like white supremacy and misogyny and um, environmental destruction, all these things are being laid bare and we are putting signs in our front yards and say, here's what I'm, here's what I'm about. And that's really hard. It's really, really hard. Um, I mean, Jason, I, I hear as you're talking, I mean, people that taught me the gospel or at least the way that I understood it as a kid are now the people who are, who are doing things that are completely antithetical to the gospel making statements that are that way. And that's, what's breaking my heart. It still is breaking my heart. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and, and so that's hard and that's what makes this whole season. So very, very difficult. Like I expect America to do goofy things from time to time, but when it's, when it's the people who have shaped me on the land that has shaped me and I can see so many good things in those people. And yet here are these underlying realities that are more important than virtue. Um, that's hard on me so yeah mike pence just came to about a couple weeks ago mike pence came to the church that i grew up in and like i I was i was like mortified when i found out that was happening and i'm i yeah i mean uh, that that (laughs) that speaks to the level of of heartbreak um and, and i think i think what's interesting and is is that for a lot of us, there was an idea of this country that I think four years ago started a grieving process for a lot of people, their idea of what this country was. And I think regardless of how the, the results go, I think there's a, a continued grieving of what people thought this country was. I think this goes back to your point, Jason, of like, we can, we can, kind of silo in our social media bubbles and think we're in this very progressive country. Um, but we're actually missing sight of what at least 50% of the country really thinks and feels and believes. Um, yeah. and, and in so, you know, it's, it's time to stop being shocked by that, you know? Yeah. And I, and I would just say like, I think given how polarized our country is, it's really hard to to look at the other side and I mean maybe I can I can I can play a conservative for a while but it makes me sick to my stomach and it's only gotten worse in my mind and I'm just hearing more and more NPR yesterday as I was taking a shower and having my daily cry they said that the blue counties have gotten bluer and the red counties have gotten redder um, and this is with a relatively boring Democratic nominee, um, not unlike 2004's John Kerry, uh, but just seeing the, I think for a lot of us, we're thinking the votes for Trump were votes for white supremacy and misogyny and all those things, and they are. 
they are votes for that. And I know people in my life and people that I've spent time with, as, as Sam said, people who have raised me, who will never say any of those things and who are, who are absolutely certain that their vote is not for any of those things. Mm-hmm. And yet I would say that they are. Mm-hmm. And it's harder and harder to talk to people and people who think that way. And I, I, I just see more and more, I'm seeing that, I feel like this is the language of civil war. Mm-hmm. Ken, Bur- Ken Burns makes the point that the Vietnam War was our second civil war, but we fought it in another country. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I still think what I would say is, I mean, we still haven't, we still haven't correctly identified and, and, and pinpointed and fixed the problems that led to our first civil war. Yeah. Right. We're still actually fighting that. You know, I mean, I think that the point of the polarization and the, the red counties becoming redder, the blue counties becoming bluer, you know, we have this, the, the urban, suburban, rural divides. Um, and I think, I think the divisiveness is like something, maybe that one of the few things we can agree on right now is that there's, that there's the divide in the country. Um, and I've just been thinking a lot about like, what... Like, what's the goal, right? Because I, I hear people say like, well, the goal is to unite us. And I'm like, well, what does that mean? Because I don't want to be united with the white supremacy of an ideology or in myself, right? Like, like the white supremacy needs to be rooted out of me and of our institutions and our, of our politics and of our ideologies and as does the misogyny and xenophobia. I mean, all of it, right? Yeah. So I don't, I don't want to unite with that. And I wonder, I just keep thinking about like the word healing. Like what, what are, what is the thing that's breaking the heart of our Trump voting relatives and friends and neighbors? Like what is the deeper heartbreak that, is at play that makes all of us grab onto polarizing narratives. And it might not be one heartbreak, right? Like it might be like a million different heartbreaks, but I don't know. I just, I think there's got, at least where I sit today, it just feels like there's just a world of pain underneath all of this. I, I mean, shoot, I even hear that, you know, I see that on my feed. I, I hear that in my congregations, you know, and I, and it's, it's actually, it's, and I mean, shoot, I can even hear it in our conversation, just trying to make sense of this and, and struggling to do so and struggling to figure out how we move forward. I mean, in this, in this space of literally not knowing. Um, and I, I still don't know, like, I mean, just even in a, even in a denomination, you know, in the United Church of Christ that promotes itself as, you know, the most liberal in the United States, you know, we, we still are fighting these things. We still have these, you know, there, there are, you know, we, we put out, you know, Hey, we're LGBT, you know, we ordain the first LGBTQ person, you know, we've, we've recognized marriage, you know, forever. We were the first of women clergy and yet still half of us are, are tucked away in places and are still stand against open. You know, so like, where, where, where do we go for an accurate picture of what that looks like? Like is like, 
we all need models. We all need something to look at that helps us make sense of, of where it is that we want to go. And those models are, are few and far in between. Like we can't, like even our faith communities are wrestling with this and, and struggle with this. And I don't know, like, I just feel that frustration everywhere I turn these days. And I don't, I, I, I feel it too. I'm frustrated. Like, I don't know what this needs to look like going forward. I know what I think it ends up looking like, but how we get from A to B, damned if I know. I, I think I'm thinking back to, um, I've been spending a lot of time with the, the space program just because they, they keep giving more, you know, Netflix and other places, other streaming services keep giving me <laughs> stories about it. So I'll keep watching. Um, but I'm just thinking in terms of when, when the first humans landed on the moon, uh, Walter Cronkite comes on the news and, and, and says what's happening. And I just feel like if that happened today, not just like a third, but maybe a half of the country would be like bullshit conspiracy. <laughs> and I have five, I have five links I can show you right now that prove me right. Mm-hmm. Not, mm-hmm. I, I'm not trying to say this whole, like everything in the sixties was great, far from it the worst, but I'm just wondering, maybe Fauci was that for us for a second, but we don't have anybody that, that can just say the sky is, is, or, you know, it's raining outside and everybody be like, yep, that's, I trust that person. It is raining outside. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Jason, I would love to hear from you about, I just think about like you work with storytelling, right? Like, and I just think I, think that there's like we have issues with the narrative in this country right now right like the the various narratives that are being shaped and that you know you know we're living in these different realities truth has become i don't even know what uh i mean it's beyond just being relative it's like things that are blatantly not true are being claimed to be true right and so I think, that, you know, people say like, oh, we need to be in dialogue with one another. I'm like, well, I don't even know how to be in dialogue when we have like completely different things that we think are fact. Right. But, but this comes back to, I mean, I was just reading an article this morning about how, uh, like how you shape like a narrative that becomes a conspiracy theory. And there was like 10 points, you know, right? Like, there, like there's a way to, like there's, there's a way to do this. So how, how, those of us who are people of faith and who believe in the power of God's story and, and, you know, I'm, I'm holding out for a world that it's a little more like the kingdom of God than not like, where does storytelling come into this? I mean, I think we can pick apart how it's, maybe it's useful to pick apart how it's been used to, to the demise, but also what, what's, how do we tell a narrative of, of the coming of, God's more just and generous world. Well, um, good question. I, I want to quote um, Rabbi um, Rabbi Danya Rutenberg. Uh, brilliant, um, brilliant human being. Yeah, on Twitter, the R A D R 
when you allow yourself to read the Bible without assuming that all the main characters are great people who make consistently fabulous choices, you open up a lot more space to ask, what can this te text teach me about myself and about what holiness is and can be? And I just, I'm thinking about that in terms of, Anna, your question around story. Because if I want to, if, if I put myself in the other mindset, man, I've heard Trump referred to or compared to David, Cyrus. I mean, it's kind of uh, incredible the ways in which they can manipulate what I would say is manipulate the story. Um, you know, there was a sitting Congress congressman. I think it was it was obviously a man because it was a dude. <laughs> horrible <laughs> um and he compared the impeachment this is back um 20 years ago in 2019 the impeachment of the current president and he compared it to uh to uh to jesus being crucified i mean it was like a pretty close comparison i saw painted icons of this floating around yeah they had trump yeah. on the cross it was disturbing yeah and there's out. also talk about icons i mean there's that guy there's that dude who makes those sort of Thomas Kincaid paintings, but it's all Trump and like saving the country. Yeah. E either way, those are stories, Anna, right? I mean, those are stories. And yeah. if we only had the Christian story to, uh, to rely on, I think we might be in a better place, but we also have a Christo-fascist story. I'm using that mm -hmm. term from Dorothy Soleil, who was a German theologian during the Nazi regime. And so I think she has a lot to teach us. But she called it Christo-fascism. And I think, yeah. I mean, we have what? We have 66 plus books in the Bible. Um, we can find whatever story we want. That's right? right. That's right. And so then the question for me is always, what's the larger narrative that's happening? And the larger narrative in the Bible, I think for Christians, is God is as Jesus does. Shout out to Phil Ruggie Jones. But if we want to know who God is, we got to look at what Jesus did and what Jesus does. And Jesus gives out free health care, right? Mm -hmm. He feeds people and doesn't ask them to pee into a cup. I mean, there, there are these consistent things that Jesus does. Um, and we see that the earliest Christian community beyond him, the followers of the way in Acts chapter two, they're literally describing a commune a communist kind of collection, a collective. Um, maybe not the way we think of communism now. I, I'm, I'm, I want to be careful not to transplant two millennia onto us. Um, we can't fathom what it's like 20 centuries ago. And yet, we have these stories that have, have come to us. And those stories... Especially the stories of Jesus. As a storyteller, I've learned a lot of these stories by heart. And again and again and again, um, Jesus doesn't judge. Uh, he doesn't assume. He just he just gives life, mm. like consistently. Um, and even now, as I say that, though, I'm like I'm I'm always thinking about the conservative response, the evangelical response, and. I think even when we talk about life, I mean, we've got a whole segment of people who have a brilliant name called pro-life, which doesn't mean what we think it means, but 
what great, what great marketing, because if you're not with them, you're pro deaf. Right. Technically <laughs> I, I've gone far off. I, I've, I've, I've left the, I've left the, the question silo. Where are we? I don't think you go that far off though. Um, but it is, it, it really is important that we, we understand the power of story and that we understand the power of shaping a narrative. And, you know, as a filmmaker, you, you get to, um, you get to shape narratives in the ways that you want them. And, and you get to communicate stories in the ways that you, you want them. And um, I, knowing you, you know, you're trying to tell stories in a way that um, honor that person that you, you see Jesus being. Um, and, you know, that's one of the things that we appreciate about you. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to segue awkwardly again, because I feel like that's, that's, that's a role I can play. Um, but, so we, we approached you, Sam and I, in, in particular, approached you about a, about a year and a half ago now, um, about the idea that there should be a documentary about people who are working at the intersection of food and faith. Um, I'm really interested, um, other than like the joy of working with Sam and Anna and I. Unbridled joy. <laughs> <laughs> other than that, well, what about, what about that story was compelling for you? Cause I, you, you kind of like dove, dove in head first and uh, became as passionate about the story as, as, as we are. Yeah. Especially as I'm the only one in on this call that, you know, I'm like the opposite of a, of a farmer. <laughs> like, um, and so I think that that speaks to how powerful the story is too, that I feel like I've been disconnected from the land for generations. So I don't, I don't have any sense of it. And yet the story still calls to me. Um, I think there's something really powerful around eating together. And I got to say it just personally, I, I struggle with depression and anxiety and almost always it hits my appetite. I, I rarely am hungry. I, I mostly drink my protein, especially right now <laughs> in times like this. And so I, I've only ever had, very rarely have I had moments of, of like powerful intimacy around food and faith. I don't have that experience and yet uh, talking with the three of you and others on screen, there is a deep, and it makes sense, but there's a deep connection within how our food, like where our food comes from and what it means to eat um, and to be aware of what we're eating that, uh, I don't know, in some ways I, I'm fascinated, I'm fascinated by the story because I don't, I don't have any frame of reference for it. Hmm. That makes sense. So it's like yeah. I'm just really curious because I don't, I don't know anything about it. It's a, such a beautiful gift that you have to offer to mm. the conversation too. I think those of us who are seeped in it, we maybe have experienced 
ourselves, like what happens at an intersection. But going back to narrative, I, you know, I have a lot of pretty well honed narratives about why this is an important story. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I can tell them from my own experience. I can tell them from community experience. I can tell them from different vantage points. Um, and I hadn't quite, I've experienced this working with you, Jason, but I, I hadn't quite seen it until you just shared that, that one of the gifts that you bring is that you are actually actively curious to hear and discover this story rather than coming in as I do with saying like, oh, well, I kind of know what this story is and here's how we should tell it. You're drawing out what is actually the story. And I, and I'm learning from that and I'm hearing and seeing and experiencing it in a different way. And that's an incredible gift. Well, thank you. I mean, I think it's like anything else that requires, I mean, a lot of what we, it's always helpful to have somebody come in from the outside, right? Um, who will ask questions of Sam, maybe he doesn't normally get asked because I'm like, I don't understand anything that you just said. <laughs> so let me ask, let me ask questions about every single part of that, right? No, I mean, I, I, I remember you coming out and doing just that, um, you know, when you came out and, and, you know, you just hung out with us and, and didn't really jump into the work, just kind of observed the work and then said, Hey, what, what is it you guys are doing? Um, which had me pulling back and say, well, what are we doing? Like, why, why are we doing <laughs> Like, what are we doing? Um, and to, and to, to just stand in there and explain it, but there was such a beautiful curiosity that you brought to it. Um, which, you know, with, which inspired us because, you know, in, in our context, we assume everybody knows how food production goes. We assume everybody wants to eat half decent. We assume everybody wants to preserve the environment. And certainly you share much of that, you know, but at the same time, it was like, I don't, I don't fully understand this. And it was, it was, it gave life to our community to hear people saying, well, this doesn't make sense to me. Um, or, or this, this, this isn't a narrative that is inherent, inherent to who I am. Um, and so I just, I, I, I took your, your beautiful curiosity um, as a gift and look forward to seeing that coming out in the documentary. It's like through the process of filmmaking, how I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how you answered those questions for yourself in the mm. process of putting a film. I answer those questions by gardening. I can't wait to hear how you answer those questions by filmmaking. Mm. Yeah, well, I mean, I didn't know I was being invited on to just get a lot of this uh, words of affirmation, which is great. It's my love language, so keep going. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, but I, I think there is, um, I think maybe that is a, a good piece of, a good aspect of good storytelling is that you don't have everybody tell the story from inside the silo. I mean, silo is a bad word. I don't think y'all are siloing, but we hear you. You know, like, it's like I, I have a good friend I do a podcast with, Faith and Focus. Check it out wherever you get your podcast. Um, Tracy Radosevic uh, is my Are you partner. paying for this ad? <laughs> <laughs> I will send you a check. And the, um, she, she just often talks in idioms, right? Just like, uh, like old school. Um, she's a Gen Xer. Uh, and she just, she speaks a lot in terms of, um, well, what does that have to do with the price of eggs, for instance, or, although that's, that's something for my grandpa, but you, you know, the idioms I'm talking about that, like, we just like, we like, we let them go. And I, 
I never let them go when she says them. I'm like, where does that come from? Why do we say that? Like, what does that have to do with anything that we're talking about? I mean, in a good way, because otherwise I think sometimes, at least I'm hoping that I'm asking questions that I think other people would ask, Mm -hmm. as opposed to just kind of assuming or, um, you know, or just like looking at images of, of you working out in the field, Sam, or pictures of, of Derek's work in the, in, 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 you know, in gardens with other people and Anna looking at what you've been doing in your context. Like when I look at all these stories, I, I, I guess I'm just, I'm trying to think what, I guess I'm just, constantly asking what's going on because I feel like that's a question we should always be asking ourselves right like what am I doing right now if somebody came in followed me around for a day in my house here with my random weird life of lots of different things happening like I feel like we don't ask that question often what are we doing mm-hmm. and I think maybe sometimes maybe in some way that's what our documentary is doing it's like what is this why, why is this happening? Why, why, why care so much about, about the land and about food? I can go to Safeway and get all the food that I need. So why, why care? Right. And looking at, looking at ways that we've disconnected from the land and, and ways we've disconnected from our food and have no idea where it comes from and no idea what's in it. And I know it's leading to diet related challenges as as uh, Pastor Heber Brown has been talking about. Um, I can almost, like right now, since I've been spending so much time editing it, I can, I can quote verbatim some of the people in their interviews, right? Um, but yeah, diet-related challenges. Um, and that's just personal. And then of course, there's the larger scope of, if we're talking about if, if land would vote, but the larger scope of what the immense changes that our presence as human beings is making on this planet and how those changes are, are vast, are, are very, are very quickly leading us to maybe a point of no return. I think those are really important questions and the way that we encounter and, and engage with our land. I just see it in, in the way that y'all are doing that with food. And that makes so much sense, right? Like that, of course the food comes from the land, but again, kind of joking, kind of not. I get my food from Safeway. Why would food come from land? <laughs> Again, I mean, I, I understand, but right. I think sometimes that's the question we need to ask. Oh, I think that's helpful. Well, it makes me think too, that um, just this to back up a little bit, and then I do want to get some more specifics of the documentary, but to back up this idea of curiosity and of coming at things and asking, well, what's underneath that? Or what's, where does that come from? I feel like connects back to the heartbreak in the country. And, and maybe one of the, you know, those of us are sitting here and going like, well, what, what can we do to heal? What can we do to be less polarized? What can't, you know, like when I feel helpless and I want to do something that, that, that curiosity is part of it. It's cultivating curiosity. It's cultivating, wondering where did this narrative come from? What are the feelings underneath this? What is the pain that's, that's uh, how does it make someone feel powerful that yeah. that is part of it? Can we just say too, uh, Anna, like 
Christianity is in desperate need of like curiosity. Yeah. We think we know everything. Yes. And we, it's just exhausting. We know who God hates and we know what Jesus wants us to do and what he would wear and what he would say. And it's like, what? Like none of that. I, I think more and more it's so important to, to display a, a real sense of like, of curiosity brings questions that might put somebody on the defensive if 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 they don't have a strong enough sense of 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 their faith. Nah, not strong enough sense of their faith. Sorry, sometimes I just talk out loud. Like, but I, I feel like sometimes like some of the best questions, right, that come from the that that I've had when it comes to the Bible or Christianity or from atheists, right? Or from people outside the, the realm who are just, they might be curious, but they also just have a, like, what the hell is, like, why do you eat and drink his blood? Like, what is that? Like, I think those are important questions for us to think about when it comes to communion, um, for example. So I just think curiosity is really lacking in Christianity and as a, as a people of faith, I think it's something we could cultivate more. I agree with mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. And so for the for the documentary itself, um, just as you've cultivated this curiosity, hung out with people from one coast to the other um, and heard these stories being told in these different different communities living out their life together. Um, how are how are viewers, how are listeners, how are people going to experience this do, do, documentary? Like, what is the story that is being told? What did you discover um, and what stories are you telling through through your lens? Yeah, I mean, I think I think those stories are still being formulated, um, but I think a deep story is that the earth is crying out, God is hungry. We are there are people who are on the front lines of trying to feed not just their people, but feed our souls, feed, feed our insecurities, feed our fears. Um, again, speaking from a very personal view, a uh, personal experience uh, with, very, with struggles around food, when I do get hungry and I do eat and I experience that, that sensation, it is intoxicating. It's, it's one of the best feelings of ever. And I, it's, I mean, it's, it's almost, it's almost life-changing. And so that's where I see these conversations that, that we're editing together right now, these interviews so far as we're trying to not necessarily build the airplane as we fly it, but in some ways, that's kind of what editing is. We've got a lot of different pieces and we're trying to figure out what the story is. But I'm just hearing over and over again, a deep passion from people for the land and for God and God's people that almost everybody I talk to, they, they, I, I think that they believe and I, I believe with them that 
I'm coming to believe I'm coming, I'm, I'm coming, I'm, I'm, I'm coming over to this understanding that it's all about how we connect with the land. I, I think that's a, it's a deep part of what it means to be human. And we've lost a lot of that. Um, and yet there are still, you know, there's still farmers and I would say prophets um, like y'all who are out in the fields, literally trying to remind us, call us back to what this relationship with the land means, especially in a world where not only do we not have a, a strong relationship with the land, but we, we are actively harming the land mm-hmm. um, in order to continue our way of life or continue having things be very convenient. Um, and so I just, uh, I think there's a story in the 21st century that is unique. That's both very 21st century in terms of everything. I mean, we can't, we can't not speak out of our context and yet there are parts of it that go back. You want to talk about geology, Sam, right? Like that, what I love about geology is that the timelines are humbling. Yes. We, we, we think about maybe 10 years ago, geology is like, no, I'm talking 4 million years ago. And that's just one step. Say That's recent. <laughs> that, that's recent. This planet that we're on is maybe at least 4 billion years old. And so who are we as human beings and how do we relate to this planet, especially because we've been on it for a very small amount of time. And yet Carl Sagan called us technologically adolescent. And so we've got a lot of really good technology right now in the 21st century, but we're still adolescent as a species. Uh, We think in, in very short timelines and we have no sense of what we're doing on a longer term to this planet. And so what does that require? I think it requires us to, to sit and think about it and to consider our actions. And what's one of the best ways to do that? I've heard from y'all is to gather around a table and eat together mm-hmm. and talk about where that food came from. Mm-hmm. What does it mean? And I, and again, I've had those moments um, and it's incredible. And I, I think about it a lot. I don't know if this is going to connect or not. Great preface, Jason. When Jesus brought together the Last Supper, when 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 they gathered in the upper room, and you have all the deci- the male disciples, and you have many more people who are probably there. Especially, there's a lot of women in that in that scene. No matter what the Bible tells us, <laughs> no matter what the Gospelers tell us, there are a lot of people there. And I've thought about that moment and what I would do if I were there. And I think that I would be so incredibly anxious that there would be no way that I could eat anything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'd be scared to. And, mm-hmm. and yet I think there's some deep truth in that moment because I think I'm sure that I, there would still be a place for me at that table, right? Mm-hmm. And so I just, I back to the larger question, what's the story of this documentary? And I think, I mean, in some ways, we are all starving 
and there's something happening at the intersection of food and faith that is filling, that is sating, that sates us, I think. I'm not sure how yet. I just want to say that like, there are other people who are, who, who helped me kind of think through this, just a shout out to the Reverend Lenny Duncan around this idea of God is starving. I, I just want to make sure that like, I didn't want to get to <laughs> Jason, you're amazing. I, I, I'm only, I, I, I just try to listen and read from smart people, you know? Yeah. Well, the ability to be oh, evasive in the offering of, <laughs> of well wishes is remarkable. <laughs> it's my love language. I speak it, I speak it fluently. You actually have been a catalyst for a lot of my thinking about this podcast in that, you know, I, you know, I, I've known about your struggles with, with eating and like my, my wife actually takes a great deal of pride that our house is one of those places where you feel safe to eat. Um, it's a big deal. And it, it, it's a, it's a, it's a big deal. And and it's one of the things that has shaped my thinking about this podcast and that so much of our focus has been on, on the production side of things and where, where food comes from. And I think it's really important that we are also telling stories about eating. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I, and I think your, your story in particular, you know, it's, it's a, it's a struggle that I think like it's a struggle. I don't know. It's a struggle that I think a lot of people don't know. Um, and yet, you know, it's really important that we understand that there is a there is a spiritual component to that struggle as well. Um, and so I just I just want to name that and, mm-hmm. and feel like, you know, you've you've helped me think a lot about the the spiritual nature of eating. Mm. Thank you. I mean, that, that just makes me think of uh, a colleague of mine, friend, pastor, uh, his name is Petter Johansson. And when I was in a, my first call in South Central Wisconsin, uh, rural Wisconsin, got pretty bad for me. And I was struggling, trying to name exactly what that struggle was. And Petter's like, well, we should connect sometime. Go out and eat. Everybody's got to eat. Hmm. And I told him, I haven't eaten in days like and I just remember very specifically like he was mortified because he just had this sense of like everybody likes to eat (laughs) and I didn't mean to be like the Scrooge Scrooge is a bad metaphor I didn't mean to be like this negative Nelly um but I thought it was helpful to recognize that like I do have to eat though right like on a on a deeper level, I'm going to die if I don't. Um, And yet at the same time, I think the spiritual component, Derek, that you're talking about, like for Christians, for me, communion is one of the most sacred moments that we have that we tell and retell. Um, And I'll tell you, it's very different. It's, it's very interesting. Interesting is a word that white people use too much. So that doesn't mean anything. It's very, it's very chilling sometimes. And chilling, it's a unique way to encounter 
communion when you're afraid that if you like take too big of a piece of bread, you're going to get sick. Right. Cause you haven't eaten in a while. And like, Oh God, I just, I'm thinking about it now. I'm not, there's no way. And so I think it's like this both and of recognizing how powerful that is in our story and recognizing that like any other spiritual dimension, there are those of us who struggle with it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Not in the same way, but when I've heard from friends, people that I know who are sober and they're so worried to go up for communion, if there's not a non-alcoholic option, mm-hmm. in some ways that might sound like a 21st century problem to us. Um, but I'm, I'm almost certain more than certain that our, that, that Jesus, Jesus, what would Jesus do? He would come up with a, a he would come up with a, a, a workaround. Yep. Right. He'd hand you a nice cup of freshly pressed, pressed grape juice that he worked on all night. Yep. <laughs> yep. And sorry, what'd you say? And, and he'd hand me, he'd hand me a gluten free loaf that wouldn't make me sick. Right. Like, right. I mean, that, that there's, that there's God wants us fed. God wants us to be fed and he wants us to feed one another. And he wants us to be able to receive that nurture and feeding. So uh, people should keep their eye out for our first installment of this documentary film, which is going to be a, are we calling it a, an episode, Jason? Is that our word? An episode. Yeah. It's a 20 to 25 minute piece. Looking at these questions, interviewing some brilliant brilliant people um and looking at the question of how does how does this intersection of food faith land theology ecology hunger feeding speak to the the problems in the world today the hungers the brokenness um and specifically looking at when we have a crisis such as a global pandemic how do the communities that are already invested in this this work how do they pivot and respond um and what can we all learn from that so there's your commercial listeners stay tuned um there is going to be god and us getting organized enough willing uh screening in january of this this episode and believe me listeners you will hear where it's going to be and how you can be involved but start looking forward to that um because these are some it's some important stories and i think they're stories for us regardless of where or how we're connected with food faith yeah i mean and also like i want to lean into that christian tradition that we're also we god gives us a hunger for justice yeah. not just a regular hunger and sometimes I've leaned into that heavily because I don't, what if I don't get regular hunger? I, I, I'm definitely starving for justice though. Yeah. I got that one down. Yeah. Always, we always end the show asking our, our, um, our guests, what gives you hope? Um, and not, not sort of a light, fluffy, airy hope, but like a real resilient hope. 
So what um, in, in this particular moment uh, and where we are, what is giving you hope? I wasn't alive then, but I, I, know, I know people who lived through the Cuban Missile Crisis. And sometimes I just think, man, we haven't blown each other up yet. That's hopeful. You asked for like deep hope, Derek, son. <laughs> Go for it. Deep, deep hope for me can only be like, I have to be clear about, I have to be honest about how like hopeless I feel. Mm-hmm. I think that's the only way you can like name real hope, right? Yep. Um, that's not illusory or surface level. And so human beings are still on this planet. Um, we still have stories to tell. Hopefully we have many more generations to fix our problems um, and get out of the, the holes that we put ourselves in as, as, as a species, I'm saying. Um, maybe that's why I'm Christian in terms of, I, I feel like sometimes I'm, I'm, I'm buoyed by other people having hope for me because mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not hopeful a lot. I'm definitely not optimistic as my Twitter followers found out. Sometimes I just tweet what I'm thinking, which is what Twitter is about. Like, <laughs> Damn, Jason, read the room. Um, <laughs> to that end, there are a few better follow follows than you, just it's so true. we put that out there. Uh, and also you're like, I'm in my room and I'm reading the room. This is what I'm thinking and feeling. <laughs> but I, I, I do think, um, I mean, back to Derek's, you know, you, you want to make that distinction between a, an airy, fluffy hope. I mean, I would, I would argue the only way you can do that is to be honest about how hopeless you might feel. Yeah. yeah. I feel pretty hopeless. And so I, I think my hope is that we're still here and that there's still work to be done. And I think that we can, I think we can do it together. But you're also asking about my hope and two days after a presidential election that we still don't know. So it's like, I don't know. I don't know where, I don't know where the hope is. And so hopefully, hopefully, huh? Um, hopefully there's enough in our community, the, the, the body of Christ as, as we like to name it, this larger community. I think there are many people who can hold on to hope a lot better than me. And that's good because Paul says, the Apostle Paul says we have uh, all different parts to play in this body. Thank you, Jason. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And your ability to give hope, even as you struggle with hope. I mean, as you have affirmed the work that is happening and have worked really hard to do that has been life affirming for so many. Um, and so just want to say thank you for doing that. Um, and a reminder of just, you know, how even as we struggle and we're in this in-between time, not knowing what's happening. So even when we feel hopeless, the opportunity that we can still do, still produce good in the world and offer, offer stuff to others. Um, Jason, you've, you've done that for us. So thank you so much for, for being our storyteller and for joining us and for taking, for taking these stories so seriously, really do appreciate it. Thank you all so much for having me. It's wonderful. And if people want to, uh, you know, know the thoughts that are coming out of your room <laughs> onto the Twitter feed. <laughs> Where can people follow you if they're interested in your work? Yeah, it's pretty easy to remember. It's crazy pastor. And that's both on Twitter and Instagram. So awesome. Um, but don't tell don't don't say I didn't warn you. 
Don't come back at me later. That's you fair. Know what you're That's you right. also um, you also have handles for your for your production company. Yeah, and that's on coast films. So just think about a new kind of storytelling. That's what that spells out. It's also a Greek word, but I won't get too nerdy on you. So A and K O S films, um, and that's on you know again kind of across the platforms: uh, Instagram, Twitter, even Facebook. Sometimes um, you can see us on there. And Jason, thanks, thank friends you. and thank you. Uh, listeners. Um, Follow, uh, follow the Food and Faith podcast as well as on, on all of those platforms so that you can know when this documentary is going to come out and how you can be involved. And also don't forget that you can um, be a patron on Patreon and maybe someday Derek will get a little bit of, um, you know, support for all the hours of editing that he currently volunteers to this podcast. We would We would love your support in that way. But blessings to everyone in this time of waiting and wondering and um let's keep trying to reach for that story of god and live into it in the world thank you for listening to the food and faith podcast our collaborators are wake forest school of divinity plain song farm the garden church and the keep until Editing is by Derek Weston and music by Paul Deemer. Follow along and keep up to date with the podcast on Facebook at Food and Faith Podcast, Twitter and Instagram at Food and Faith Pod, or on our website at foodandfaithpodcast.org.